Interface is a leading provider and local manufacturer of flooring solutions and global leader in, in sustainability. They've recently achieved a carbon negative milestone, launching the world's first carbon negative carpet tile. Interface has been leading the way by reducing the carbon footprint of their products and manufacturing processes for more than two decades because only by working together with designers, engineers and scientists can we make the changes required to reverse global warming. Welcome to Talking Architecture and Design. My name is Branko Miletic and today we have with us Jorge Chapa. Jorge Chapa is Head of Market Transformation at the Green Building Council of Australia, the GBCA, whose role it is to ensure that GBCA strategic priorities, partnerships and products and services, including Green Star, accelerate the transformation of Australia's built environment, delivering more livable, resilient and sustainable places for everyone. His career highlights include co-authoring a, a carbon positive roadmap, which, set, which sets out targets to decarbonise the built environment and building with nature, which set out a path or sets out a path rather to bring nature back into our cities. Hortega has an, an architecture degree from the University of Monterey in Mexico and a master's in design science from the University of Sydney. Welcome to Talking Architecture and Design, Hortega Chapa. Thank you very much uh, for the invitation. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Okay, um, so let's let's talk about the Green Building Council of Australia, the GBCA. Um, you know, for the, the listeners who who don't who may not know exactly what you guys do, can you put put into context? You know, where it sort of fits into the built environment. Uh, what is it doing now? And 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 in terms of sustainability, where does the organisation see sustainability changing in the context of our built environment? Um, moving forward? Uh, those are great questions to start with. So let, let me perhaps start with a, a little bit of uh, history, right, of the Green Building Council. So we're, we're an industry association. Uh, it's been around since 2002. Uh, and our, our mission essentially is to lead the sustainable transformation of the built environment. And uh, it's a very interesting organization if you think about it, right? The, our, our sole singular purpose is essentially to make every building better. And the question is often asked of us, how did it start and why did it start? And, and there's a very actual uh, simple reason for it. Um, and it actually, for what it's worth, it has actually something to do with why I'm, I'm actually in the country. Uh, and it has to do with the Sydney Olympics. If you recall year 2000, um, and, and I can tell you as so a, a young uh, professional, I was still doing my, my master's degree um, in, in, in Mexico. Uh, sorry, my, my bachelor's degree in Mexico, when um, everyone, if there's one thing that always stuck about the Sydney Olympics, in addition to them being wonderful, was that they always marketed them as the first green Olympics. Um, and it is really from that history that the GBCA came out of, right? The industry got together and said, you know what, it turns out delivering great buildings does make sense. Um, and so why, why, don't we, why don't we just actually do that, right? Why don't we uh, keep going and, and maybe we should be working to make all of the buildings just better. And that's where the, the GBCA really came, about, came from. Uh, it, it has four uh, key uh, activities, essentially. Uh, what we tend to do is we, we, uh, we educate. So we train a lot of professionals on green building practices. Uh, we advocate. Uh, to government uh, for better practices in the built environment. So we, we work with, uh, for example, government on things like updates to the Australian buildings, uh, to the National Construction Code. Uh, we uh, also do a lot of collaboration 
amongst many organizations, amongst the many things that we, we work with or the organizations we work with, we work with uh, organizations like the Australian Sustainable Built Environment Council, um, or which we're part of. Uh, we are part of the World Green Building Council, uh, which is uh, kind of like the United Nations for Green Building Councils, right? So looking at many global projects. And then, um, or, or other entities um, that, that are around, like uh, neighbors, um, which uh, I'm not sure if your listeners know who they are, but they're a government program uh, that measures energy performance of building. Uh, so we, we tend to have those activities, but probably the one that we're best known for, <laughs> because it's very outward facing, would be Green Star, which is a rating system for the environment. Um, I think, um, so that's a bit of a, like who we are, who is the GBCA. Um, I think that the interesting thing that, that you're asking very much, Franco, is how has, like, how is sustainability changing? That's the thing that is genuinely fascinating to me. Um, so I've been at the GBCA for about 14 years. Uh, I, I first started in, in, in um, August of 2007. And, and I remember when I joined the GBCA, we're about, uh, it was growing, it's starting to grow quickly, but, but we were still a very small organization. And a lot of the conversations were about whether we should do green buildings. There was a lot of that. Um, I'd love to do a better building, but it costs more. I don't know if it makes financial sense. Will people want it? Um, what's, the, what's the business case for, for uh, green buildings and sustainability? And a, a lot of our time was spent actually... Uh, trying to answer those those uh, conversations uh, and, and those questions. Um, if you ask me how has that changed to today, the question is no longer uh, should we do better buildings, but rather how quickly can we make better buildings? Uh, how much better can we make them, right? The conversation has genuinely shifted from we should be a little bit more energy efficient to how do we drive net zero outcomes? It's no longer about, hey, um, you know, should we pick slightly better materials, but rather how do we start emphasizing in the supply chain to really drive down all of its impacts. And it's no longer about how do we prevent, uh, say, the, the old adage of, of um, uh, sick building syndrome, right? Like how do we stop making people sick by being in buildings? Now the conversation is how do we use the build environment to make us healthier and more socially uh, responsible, right? And, and that's uh, that's a big shift from even just 15 years ago. To be honest, it's a big shift from even five years ago. And it's that mainstreaming that's changed uh, in, the, in, 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 in the sector across the decade. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I've, got to, I've got to say though that, that yeah, we, the, the issue of, of changing buildings that are, that are better for us is, is actually kind of a new, new idea but it, it really makes sense doesn't it a hundred percent right like think about the, the the way that we think of buildings right and, and we tend to think of buildings as these weird static things that we just built to protect us from the elements and a, a, look a building at its basic sense it's that um and it's through through uh, really genuine uh, valuable work like um that that we in green star started years ago saying, hey, maybe we can make the environment quality better or uh, uh, neighbors as well, measuring, um, it, trying to improve yeah, the, the operational aspects of, of um, our indoor space. And, and people like that, that then started showing, hey, people actually enjoy being in nicer, better buildings. What else can we do with it? Uh, we have things like 
the International Well Building Institute coming out and saying, hey, we, we actually can really start thinking about buildings. What if we started thinking about buildings, not just as how do, make, do we make things less worse, but let's start thinking about how do we make them better. And, and that's a big shift, but it does make sense, right? Like just conceptually right now, um, any of us, and, and I'm going to wager anyone who's listening to this podcast is either in one of two situations, either they are in a building likely listening to this podcast or they're outside heading to a building. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and that's where we spend all of our time. So let's actually use that to our advantage. Let's actually make uh, decisions in buildings that help us just create a better um, uh, a better health outcome. And there's lots of things. There's everything from the, 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 the type of uh, ventilation that exists. And we, we've been seeing in like COVID, right? Uh, the COVID situation in hotels, how bad air just leads to bad outcomes, but also good lighting um, and, and um and the paints that we use and finishes that we use and, and making them uh, less toxic. Um, but then you start actually going to the next step. It's like, how will we introduce nature? What about daylight? Uh, you actually start thinking about even the space, the spaces between um, in a building and how you can go from one place to another um, and how do you encourage active movement? Um, you and then consider the even, even the way that we think of a building. And a lot of the things that we expect of a building, for, part, for what it's worth, like all of our rules of thumb, they were created for a population that isn't normally present in buildings. So they're, 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 a lot of the codes that we use for thermal comfort are about, uh, say, uh, were really designed for reasonably fit men in their 30s and 40s that are wearing a suit yeah. on, in the office. whatever and the rest of the time it's it's left to be um like sitting around empty is is that kind of like should we be reusing or 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 have multiple uses for all of our structures i i think that's one of the big questions of the next decade right like the idea that um we should uh, how do we make buildings more uh functional for all times is a really interesting one. And, and I think, again, for what it's worth, last year has been very interesting for all of us, right? We, we came to recognize that we do certain things a certain way because that's the expectation, right? So we have office buildings, that's where you work. You have your house, that's where you don't work. And of course, what happens when everything uh, becomes a mismatch of things? And I, I will say that the smart developers and smart building owners are now doing a review of their portfolio and going, okay, what does it mean to have these assets that are uh, just single functional, right? Like the, the, that can only host one type of activity full stop. And, and what you will, um, what I expect to see is that over the next decade and, and so on, and you know, the next short time is uh, our expectations of how we interact with buildings will change. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, you know that we'll all be living in a stadium, right? Or or, or things like that. There, there is there are a lot of cases where a building needs to have very specific functions uh, ultimately. So that there's there's not a lot of good ways, for example, 
people to to run a a, a basketball court out of an office building. Right? It's 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 challenging, but. Um, we need to think about what else can we do that 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 um, stadium for, or how do we set out the building so that in 20 years, once its initial commercial life has ended, that you can um, refit refurbish it into a residential space. Or um, how do you make residential spaces more adaptable, or should we be encouraging uh, more uh, mixed mix mixes of uses in a in a building? Uh, one of the one of my favorite buildings right now that I, that I love talking about is. A, a building in South Australia. Uh, it's called U City, mm-hmm. um, and it's really mm-hmm. interesting. It's a it's a big building in the Central Business District, and it's uh, operated by uh, United Communities. And so they essentially said, "How do we create a community uh, where uh, we can have many many diverse uses?" And so, as an example, this is a building that has commercial spaces. So it's part of, partly an office. It is a social services hub. Uh, it has uh, disability accommodation, right? So it's right there, you have three very distinct types. And it even has uh, retirement residences and, and, and age care and healthcare. It's one building, one big tower uh, that hosts all of these spaces. And of course, there's restaurants and there's uh, dining rooms and there's even an auditorium for memory, if I recall correctly. It's, it's the type of thing that is more likely to become prevalent in our cities than the opposite, which are just single building type purposes. Um, I think that's a that's a very interesting development that is worth keeping an eye on. Okay, according to a recent GBCA press release, and this is about the um, the the the, 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 uh, the budget. Um, $15.2 billion boost for infrastructure, new agencies to enhance resilience and climate research, and a $1.2 billion boost for green technology are among the measures welcomed by Green Building Council of Australia, GBCA CEO, Davina Rooney, who says GBCA is supportive of the Morrison's government investment in resilience infrastructure as both are essential for Australia's economic recovery and long-term future. On that point, do you think that the government should get more? I mean, there's a fair, fair bit of money that the, that the federal government's throwing at, at um, you know, climate and, and, and infrastructure, um, which is a bit surprising, but it, but it, it is doing it, which is good. Um, do you think that governments need to get more and more involved in, when it comes to, you know, sustainability and building and whatnot? Do you think perhaps that self-regulation has kind of run, run its course in the industry? Um, I, I think I think we need to separate out the, the two, two questions, and I think it's a great two question, two part question, right? So, so is the question, uh, you know, should government be involved in driving the climate agenda further? Um, I think the answer is one hundred percent. Well, uh, look, you're asking you're asking an organization that advocates for a better built environment. Uh, if we want to see a better built environment, and the answer is going to be yes, right? Like we we will need. Uh, government support from different layers to continue achieving that goal. Um, That's everything from uh, big, hairy policy targets that allow us to start getting a sense for what the future looks like to um, everything rolling back down across the the state and local governments, for instance, to planning policy matter. There's going to be a lot of questions that we're going to be grappling with when it comes to things like uh, our energy mixes. And when you're talking things like energy mixes or industrial policy, uh, those are not things that 
private sector can do for itself. Uh, it needs government to play a big role in helping drive those changes. Um, uh, the and that's that's incredibly apparent to to uh, all of us. And I would say uh, for for what it's worth to governments, we we already know and we've seen state governments do a lot of work at moving to decarbonize their electricity supply. Uh, we've seen the, the examples of South Australia where they're generally uh, leading, um, world leading in terms of how they're decarbonizing that, that supply of energy. ACT government, for example, has done a lot of work to do the same. Uh, there's targets at New South Wales and, and Victoria to, to get to net zero electricity much further, uh, much quicker than what I think most of us even expected when you see the, those projections that five years ago looked impossible. Now they, they almost look laughable in terms of how quickly the market has moved. So, so without question, government will have to play a part. In that. Uh, government will also have to play a part in how it takes care of communities that will be impacted by changes in policy, right? If you are a community that relies on mining jobs for coal or a power plant that runs on coal, uh, or, or similar activities, that community will be will have it tough. There's no way around it, right? Like it is an important conversation, and government is the best place to make sure that there's a clear strategy to drive uh, to to make sure that the climate transition is just, and that's very important. So that's that's that, that's one part of the question. The second part of the question was of is the age of, of self-regulation over? Um, that's, I think, where, where we see a different role to, to perhaps how we define self-regulation. Um, I do think, and, and, and I think it's safe to say, GVCA does think that we need stricter standards for a lot of what we're doing. We need, we need significantly stricter standards in homes. Uh, we need to make genuine changes to how we build houses. Uh, we also will be needing stricter standards when it comes to, say, um, embodied carbon in materials. We're going to have to figure this out. It's going to be a problem. Um, that doesn't mean, however, that an amount of, of uh, voluntary regulation that can be used to push targets faster shouldn't exist. So Greenstar plays that role, for example, uh, where what we're trying to say is if we want to change the building code in 2030, right? And this is just a, a target that we've set for ourselves. We need to show industry that we can deliver what we want the future looks like. So let's actually drive that quicker. And a voluntary rating scheme like GreenStar helps achieve that. So we just need to be mindful that there's two kind of the, 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 there is there is a role in a voluntary set of standards that can be followed, uh, but that does not excuse. And I think that's probably very much to your point. It definitely does not excuse a lack of action at the at the regulatory sense to not move forward. We absolutely 100% also need that. It's not either or, it's both. Interesting. Okay, that's actually really interesting what you say. I've, I've got to say, though, that the government um, either thanks or because of um, the pandemic is throwing around money that we never thought existed actually. Um, yes, it is a it is a very interesting. Um, it, it is very much an, an only Nixon can go to China moment in a lot of respects. You are you are percent right there. Um, I, th I don't think we'll ever, ever see this again. But can you tell me on that point um, if you know in terms of funding? I mean, is this 
what they've given in the last budget, which is what about a couple of weeks ago, do you think that they could do more? I mean, should they do? Do they need to do more? Uh, look, I, I'll 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 go a step further and 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 say that over the next decade they will have to do more, and all states will have to do more, unquestionably. Uh, we're in the midst of an energy transition. Uh, we're in the midst of a vehicle uh, transition. Um, we're in the midst of a technology and, and data transition as well, right? Like there's a lot of things that are moving that um, will we will need as a country to to figure out how to deal with, um, and unquestionably. There will be there will be a need for uh, uh, for more investment in the space, um, and, and I think that's safe to say. Um, uh, and, and I would dare say, and, and um, that that most people um, that are in um, in a situation like ours, right, that are advocating for for a bigger spend in say climate related um, or resilience. Um, uh, infrastructure, right, or resilient infrastructure, or infrastructure to increase the resilience of Australia, uh, is is looking at it, going like, "Thank you, it's a great start. Great to see it's in the budget. Let's make sure it continues and that it grows over time because we will need more as as both the climate gets hotter and and um, and and there's a transition piece. Yeah, we, we're there's a there are global commitments that are happening now that will impact. Australia's capacity to to continue, for argument, with being in business, right? Right now, the built environment, for example, uh, the built environment in Australia is an attractive space for investors. And part of the reason for that is it's very well governed in a safe country that that um, has extremely good practices from from that perspective, right? It's a it's a high quality product in a sea, right? In the world of perhaps not not high quality products. But that will shift very quickly if we don't continue to be part of or drive a, a faster transition. Uh, at that point, the money will go to places where there's a lot less risk of having or owning stranded assets. And we and that's that's where a lot of the investment is going to need to happen. And that's investment at the infrastructure level, investment at the at the building level, um, and investment at the manufacturing. Interface is a leading provider and local manufacturer of flooring solutions and global leader in, in sustainability. They've recently achieved a carbon negative milestone, launching the world's first carbon negative carpet tile. Interface has been leading the way by reducing the carbon footprint of their products and manufacturing processes for more than two decades, because only by working together with designers, engineers and scientists can we make the changes required to reverse global warming. You know, a lot's been said about Greenstar and it's been around for a while. Can you tell me the whys and wherefores and benefits of Greenstar ratings in particular uh, when we're talking about, you know, um, building design and, and, and obviously, you know, building the construction? Absolutely. So so for, for those of you who are listening that may not be aware of, Greenstar is essentially a rating system that is... Uh, that was released in 2003 and it's been through a few variations. Uh, there's about uh, 3,000 odd uh, certifications that we've issued for uh, buildings, fit-outs, and communities. And, and we do uh, uh, new buildings, buildings in operations, new precincts, and, and new fit-outs, and very soon we'll start actually trying to influence the homes market Green Star. So Green Star is very much a standard uh, that, that is based on the idea that if we can set leadership targets, now we can start changing how industry practices work. Um, and that's effectively the theory of change that that uh, that Greenstar operates on. Uh, 
Um, there's some good examples of that actually, where Razor has been wildly successful at changing practices in industry. Uh, I remember when I started at GBCA and you know, by then we would have had about 20 certified buildings, right? Heaven. Um, I would regularly get calls from people asking me, what is this commissioning idea? Or, or why are we, um, how, how can we, uh, uh, I can't find low toxic paints in, in, uh, in, uh, in Australia. Um, and that's no longer the case, right? Right now, uh, commissioning is a very well understood activity. It is expected of most of, of any reasonably sized development. And you can go into Bunnings and, and, and I dare you to find indoor paints that are toxic for you. It's really hard. You, you, you have, it's completely the opposite. Um, and that's partly because of what Greenstar created. It created a marketplace for these things to happen and become uh, become standard for people to work towards developer uh, or, um, or the, the contractors consultants and so on to deliver the scales from one to six. Uh, for new buildings, it goes from four to six, right? Four, five, and six. And four is essentially best practice. And they can say, give me a four-star rating. Um, and what that means is that the consultant will go through, uh, go through the building, look at the best aspects that it can take, uh, and deliver them a best practice building across a whole heap of things. There are some mandatory aspects that they have to comply with, and overall, green star rate buildings seem to be, tend to be more energy efficient, water efficient, have a better indoor environment quality, uh, better use of materials, good responsible processes. Um, so that's that's essentially, in a nutshell, what the rain tool what has been trying to do for the better part of two decades. Now, Raystar is going through a transition. Uh, the build, the, a good building uh, in 2020 will look very different to a good building in 2030 because the expectations of what we're trying to build have changed. So the newest version of the rating system, for example, has requirements now that buildings have to be uh, operating at net zero emissions, so highly efficient, powered by renewables, fossil fuel free, right? That's a big driver uh, with lower upfront carbon emissions. That's a requirement now if you want to get a six-star rating, which represents world leadership. And those requirements then move on to five-star rated buildings in 2023 and four-star rated buildings in 2026, all with the principle that when we get to 2030, we can go to say the building code and say, hey, you should be updating the building code because look at all of these thousands of buildings that we rated that are able to do what what we're asking you to, do. Um, and, and that's that's the in a nutshell what it, what it is. The, the the rating tool itself, if I can define it in a very simple way, uh, has a, a, a big key goal, right? It, it it is aiming to drive the built environment to deliver healthy, resilient, and positive places for people and nature, uh, build responsibly, and to showcase and, and promote leadership, right? That's that's its goal. Um, so that's. Kind of like a long winded explanation to, to what Green Star is and what it's trying to do. But the key, obviously, important thing is um, like, why has it been successful? And I think that's, a, that's the interesting bit. And the answer is it's been shown to work. It has a verification system attached to it. Uh, that means that it keeps a lot, uh, everyone on the same track as to what they have to deliver. It's got clear guidelines and targets for that, that people need to match. And it covers most of the important issues that the built environment affects. Um, everything from uh, how, how resilient a building is to uh, how, uh, how much nature is in the building. Right? That's, those are the, the key aspects to it. Um, and 
investors, financiers, tenants, they can rely on the Green Star as a mark of uh, that the building is a sustainable building. And that's where its power lies. And it's right now, for example, you wouldn't build a commercial office building uh, without a Green Star rating. There's a lot of, when it comes to commercial buildings, there's a lot of, you know, you know, as you know, obviously well enough with the Green Star ratings, a lot of things that can be done to make the building better and, 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 and you know, healthier and also perform, you know, in, in a more sustainable way. And whether we're talking about, you know, um, flooring, I mean, you know, the, the sponsor of this podcast interface is an amazing thing with flooring in, um, in commercial buildings, but there's also windows, there's, there's, um, there's, you know, there's obviously, as I mentioned, paint. There's the there's issues with the, you know, the HVAC. There's, you know, there's the, there's the building material itself. Can I ask what, you know, what would be the the three top things that, that in your mind or the GBCA's mind would need to be done to make a building, you know, um, or improve a building's uh, livability, if I can put it that way. Oh man, that is that is like. That is that is a great question. If I only had three things to <laughs> pick in a building to make it livable, what would I do? So I'm going to, for 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 argument's sake, I'm going to definitely pick. Uh, I presume that it's an existing building, right? So it's not yes. a new building. So that's a, that takes you on a whole different path. Um, and I think we we need to be clear that there's a difference between making a building uh, livable for you uh, to making a building. Um, environmentally friendly or a building sustainable. So there's there's three ways of defining that, right? So if we're looking to make a building uh, better for your health, uh, let's let's go there and let's assume it's a commercial office building. Um, that's a great question. My 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 initial thing that I tend to think of is every building should be, and there's no reason why you cannot do this, right? Every building should be uh, non toxic, well ventilated, and well lit. Right. That's the minimum that you should do about any building, unquestionably. And so uh, when you look at that, uh, then definitely, yes, most uh, there's a lot of uh, bad lights in buildings, for better or worse, especially older ones. They're, they're getting better, if nothing else, because they die and get replaced by better lighting. But you can do better than that, uh, than just a typical light bulb. Um, uh, definitely ref looking at all of the, the sources of uh, where emissions could be. So your paints, uh, flooring, as you've said, uh, you know, interface, uh, those great flooring products, for example, um, uh, your furniture. Um, and I, I think one, one thing that people miss out on is, is definitely fabrics. But like we, we bring in a lot of toxics from outside and fabrics absorb them. So it's just, you know, it's a good thing to, to consider as well. Um, and finally, ventilation. Uh, you, one of the things that I've been most surprised about and, and partly not surprised about is uh, how poor ventilation tends to be in a number of, in, in say, commercial buildings, mm -hmm. in older ones specifically. And there's a good reason for that. Uh, ventilation costs energy. Uh, and so good ventilation costs more energy. Whereas, interestingly enough, better lighting may actually be cheaper for you. Um, but ventilation costs energy. And, and the thing that they do is they recirculate uh, the air. And that's really bad for you, right? In, in a school, bad air will literally result in a kid learning less, 
right? That's been shown over and over again in many studies. Um, and so that's one of the most important things. And, and so it doesn't mean just like putting, uh, if, you know, if you're in a space, putting a split system and you call it a day, because that actually is just recirculating bad air. We need a lot of fresh air. And, and I think uh, the literature is uh, quite surprising in the amount of fresh air that we should be providing within our buildings uh, compared to what's in, say, the Australian, uh, the National Construction Code as a minimum. And, and that's important. Yeah, it's important to recognize that the Australian building codes, uh, the National Construction Code ventilation standards, for example, are really set to making sure that obviously there's some some ventilation. It's not trying to create the optimum scenario. And so we, we I would say that's probably, those would be the three things that I'd be quite concerned about. Uh, you know, ventilation probably being one of the ones that I think is quite surprising by how incredibly influential and fundamental it is to a person's health and well-being. How, how does that differ than if we're talking about a brand new building? Is the list different? Well, it's harder to do it uh, in, a, in an existing building than in a new building, right? In, a, in an existing building, you're, you have a limit to what you can do because of lots of things, you know, space and how the building was built and what the fabric is and, and all sorts of things. Um, I would expand just the, the, the list a little bit in, in, in a new building because at that point you have a lot of a lot more freedom. Um, definitely you start with those three. Obviously you shouldn't be bringing in toxic materials to the, a new building. Uh, you should be trying to create great lighting. Um, what I would say in a new building is that maximizing the amount of daylight should be a goal that people have access to. In an existing building, you're limited by what's already there. In a new building... Yeah, you're designing windows, so you should try and maximize those as much as you can. Um, bring in fresh air. That, sorry, uh, bring in fresh air. That is definitely a simpler question in a new building setting compared to an existing building setting because you can sign uh, very efficient and and, uh, and valuable uh, ventilation strategies. Right in a in a in an existing building. Again, you're limited by the risers, the size of the ducting, the amount of space that you have, but in a new building, you can design these things to work well. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, issues there. The thing that I've introduced as well in existing, in a new building, sorry, would be the opportunity to make sure that you manage the thermal comfort of the building appropriately. Uh, we tend to rely a lot on their conditioning to do the heavy lifting of it and uh, to do the heavy lifting. And that's fine, but that means that we have to make some decisions that average out how how the how, how the building um, will perform, right? So we set the uh, uh, temperature points of uh, you know, 21, 20 to 24 degrees, for example. Um, but if you do the building properly, you can expand those set points a little bit more and people will actually be more comfortable. Um, and you might be able to have uh, temperature gradients on the floor so that as people get, uh, if they're sitting down a fair bit, they can go to a slightly warmer space so they can uh, you know, warm up again. And you can, uh, and, and, and uh, there's obviously the, the additional opportunity, of course, of uh, be having access to the building layout, bringing nature in um, and doing a few other things that make, will make the space a lot more palatable uh, or a, a lot uh, taking it from from reducing the bad impacts that buildings can cause to actually making buildings better. Uh, but that's a, it, it just increases the amount of flexibility and opportunity of having a new building space. Okay, so how does the GBCA see the built environment helping to address climate change? I mean, change rather. Should 
should you guys be leading the way? I mean, from what I can, from what I can gather, um, there doesn't seem to be anyone that's sort of, you know, carrying the torch at the front for this climate change, uh, you know, issue or challenge. There seems to be a lot of people who might be saying similar things, might be on the same same hymn book. Maybe some who aren't, but a lot who are. But there doesn't seem to be anyone who's sort of, you know, taken the bat and said, "Okay, I'm going to lead." I mean, I know that. I know that you, you don't have that much to do, so you, I'm, I'm sure you want more to do. But <laughs> I mean, seriously though, um, should uh, organisations or like the GBCA be leading the way? Well, I, 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 um, this is this is probably where I disagree very much strongly with you uh, for what it's um, for in what you're saying, right? I do actually. Uh, GBCA is taking and yeah, fine. Like, uh, sorry, this is going to sound uh, very humble on my part, right? To say GBCA, of course, is leading the way, but uh, let me be very, very, uh, uh, very specific, right? Like, let's actually take it from yeah, sure, we're leading, right? We put out this, uh, you know, a thing, and and then like people like us on social media, so see, we're leading. Um, but to actually go, let's talk specifics, right? So GBCA as an organization has a very clear target that we're working towards. By 2030, no new building uh, should be built that is not net zero carbon in operation. Right? That's a huge target. What does that actually mean? Let's, let's break it down a little bit more. So that means that every building, when you open up the windows, right, and you look at every potential building or major building refurbishment that will happen from 2030 onwards, has to be a highly efficient building that is fully powered by, by renewables and you know, on-site or off-site renewables, that's fine, but fully powered by renewables. And, and what I'm say, talking about is renewable energy, not renewable electricity only, right? So that means that you cannot have uh, fossil fuels on the building. And think about that, right? That means, for example, no natural gas for heating and cooking and hot water, that we use a lot of that in buildings. Um, and then we go a step further and go, you know what? The, our, the building materials themselves, the amount of carbon in the building materials, we're going to aim to reduce that by at least 40% between now and 2030. That is gigantic, right? And so that's a very clear, very specific set of goals and targets that uh, we as an organization have and that we're driving. And in our case, we're driving it in part by uh, GreenStar. GreenStar has... Uh, those targets, the, the things that I've told you, right, are 2030 targets, but GreenStar is driving them today. You cannot and you will not be able to get a six-star rating in uh, in GreenStar, the latest version of the GreenStar rating system, if you are not highly efficient, fully powered by renewables, have no fossil fuels in the building, other than you know, uh, emergency backup generators. We, we allow that just because that's a safety issue, but you don't run the building there, right? So no, no, no gas for, uh, no fossil fuels for uh, heating, cooking uh, or hot water. Uh, and the body carbon emissions have to be drastically lower than a typical building. And then we go a step further and go, by the way, yeah, let's offset the rest because there's some stuff that we can't fix. That's gigantic, right? There's nothing else like it um, in the world in terms of the, the, the scale that we're trying to drive change between now and 2030 um, in, in any sector in the country uh, in terms of clear targets clear goals and clear actions. Um, and we've been saying that now for five years. And, and uh, uh, one of the things that we, we joked about that strategy 
was internally, right? We kept saying to ourselves, what we want to do is we want to get to 2020 and we go, great, these now apply, right? We start in 2020 and we want to make it boring. So like for five years, we've been saying, hey, we're going to be doing this. And initially people would would tell us, yeah, you're joking. And then they'd say, they realized we were serious and say, well, you're insane. It's not possible. Um, And now everyone goes, yep, you're right. We should be doing this. We're going to do this. And so the conversations have shifted now to where we can safely say, um, we, 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 we are going for, for uh, changing the built environment and we have a clear goal in mind and, and we think we can pull it off, right? We think we're, we're on that trajectory. Um, so, so that's why I, what, when you say, well, I don't see anyone doing this. I'm like, well, no, actually there is. It may just be that the conversation just uh, is going to filter down, but you can safely say that we've had a very clear strategy to do this. Um, and, and again, safely, without question, um, there, there aren't a lot of other organizations worldwide that have that specific set of targets that are driving towards. Um, can you then give me some outstanding examples, like in your opinion, uh, from the sector that we all should be emulating when it comes to you know, um, building sustainability? I mean, your top three um, examples and why? Oh, um, there, look! You're asking you're asking me to pick amongst my favorite uh, children out of three thousand old buildings. That's hard. Uh, I hope you, so. Uh, I won't say these are my top three examples, but these are the the, the say three that come to mind. Um, uh, and I've mentioned one of them for what's worth. One is UCD. Uh, that's a, a genuinely great project, right? Like I didn't talk about um, the, some of the specifics of there. Just talking about how it was being done in terms of the use cases, which is really interesting. But also like that building is designed to use 45% less energy than a typical building, which is a lot. Uh, it's got solar panels, double glazed windows, reflective roof paint. Uh, it uses natural ventilation, which is interesting for, for a building of that, that type, uh, for example. Um, there are some great schools uh, that, that, they're, that uh, are, are doing, um, uh, that are being built, that are going to be using a lot less, uh, less energy and, and produce less emissions. So there's a, uh, there, there's a, uh, uh, the Melbourne Conservatorium of Music, for example, um, they are going to be fully electric, no gas, and they're going to be powered by renewables. Uh, obviously, that means that they have to be really energy efficient. The, the, they got to be, uh, I think it's something like 20 or 25% of the electricity consumed should be generated by on-site solar, and the rest comes from, from, on, from off-site renewables. And as you can imagine, uh, for like a school, uh, they have they've been uh, doing a fair bit of work around the inner environment make it very nice and 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 and, um, and to encourage learning outcomes um and and um well as uh, one of the consultants mentioned to me for the Melbourne Conservatorium of Music that I have great acoustics and I, I think you can safely say that they're probably going for that um the the you know there's other bits uh, like if you want to go for like a smaller uh, school. Uh, there's a community school, uh, Macaulay Community School. Um, and and I, um, it's, it's also in South Australia, for, uh, by the way. Um, they're driving um, good, good um, I think 90% of construction emulsion waste was diverted. Uh, they focus a lot on air quality uh, because for students that, again, really genuinely matters. Uh, that's a great example of a project that as they were working through, they saw an opportunity to actually drive better outcomes that was even in the brief. And so they went from five star, uh, green star, which is a great, star, uh, great outcome to a six star, which is our highest rating. 
Um, and they did that by doing things like uh, sourcing uh, materials appropriately, right? So they were very careful with where they got the materials from. Um, I've, said, I've said three now, um, uh, but if you allow me an interesting one, Sure, sure, one that you wouldn't expect. Um, uh, Melbourne Metro, for example, uh, is actually building a bunch of train stations. And so I think people are surprised by the diversity of Green Star projects. And this is one of my, you wouldn't have expected this one. Uh, they have a, uh, uh, the um, uh, Melbourne Metro is essentially setting a few uh, train stations um, and they're all going to be Green Star rated, right? They're all being... Uh, done to be as environmentally responsible as they can make them. Uh, they have uh, aspects of waste reduction. You know, we had to work with them. As you can imagine, it's an interesting conversation to say, well, what does inner environment quality look like in a station that ha that that's partly outdoors? What does that what does that um, uh, what does that mean? Um, and uh, and in the case of Melbourne uh, of these train stations, for example, they they wanted to make sure that. The uh, different stations, so the I think it's Parkville and, and there's one in Townfall uh, station. So, but the, they, each station was uh, paying homage to like the local culture and, and the history of where they are located. So it wasn't just big, ugly, great buildings, but actually there was some link to the community. And that's something that we don't um, talk a lot about what it means for sustainable buildings. It's a bit of a passion area of mine, but um, one thing that's really valuable is learning very much so that um, it isn't just about what the building is doing for the people inside, but rather what the building is doing for the people outside that also should be, should delineate whether a building is, is a, a sustainable building or not. Um, and it's a, like, you know, talking to you, for example, I'm an architect by, by, by training. So I did my bachelor's in architecture. Uh, and it's one of those things that they tell you a lot in, in, in architecture school, right? You should always be mindful of your surroundings, but we sometimes forget. And it actually is really important. You know, a, a good building that, that makes the community better is a better building than one that doesn't. And, and the reason for that is it'll be loved more. It'll last longer. Uh, and that's, uh, I think, something also worth considering, which I uh, was very uh, interested to see uh, Melbourne Metro really take that into account when they were building their stations. Absolutely enlightening, Jorge Schaper. Thank you. Oh, anytime. I'm very happy to to, um, uh, to chat and thank you for having me. You've been listening to Talking Architecture and Design. Thank, thank you for listening. And I do apologize for the um, somewhat um, inconsistent audio quality. We've had a very challenging week when it comes to IT. But until next time, this is Branko Melodic. Until next time, goodbye. Interface is a leading provider and local manufacturer of flooring solutions and global leader in, in sustainability. They've recently achieved a carbon negative milestone, launching the world's first carbon negative carpet tile. Interface has been leading the way by reducing the carbon footprint of their products and manufacturing processes for more than two decades because only by working together with designers, engineers and scientists can we make the changes required to reverse global warming. I'm Branko Melodic. Thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. The AD Network proudly presents the Sustainability Awards now in their 14th year. You can find more information at sustainablebuildingawards.com.au.